16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. This message is a message that was very heavy on my heart and I could not wait to be able to meet with you tonight to be able to talk about this because we're going to study the life of a man after God's own heart. The life of a man named David. You see, it's important that we study the life of David if we're going to do Bible characters because there's much that we can learn from the life of David. You think about how many people were there in the Bible that that God used as examples. However, only one of them got the title or, or, or now that theme of a man after God's own heart. Now you want to study, stop, and pause for a moment and say, Hey, how did you get that name? If there's many examples in Scripture that we can follow. Well, I'll tell you this. David wasn't perfect, but he had the right heart. David was not perfect, but he had the right heart. He had a heart that was after God's own heart, right? And I love this about David's life. That you're gonna, we're going to notice that today. And I hope that, that you love taking notes because today I'm going to give you a lot that you can apply in your own life and that you can take away today from David's life so that you can use it every single day. But God took his time when it came to preparing David. God took his time when it came to preparing David. Just like he's taking his time to prepare you for whatever he wants you to do, he took his time with David. Because he wanted a king that he can trust. Because he wanted a, a manager that he can trust. Because he wanted a children's ministry teacher that he can trust. Because he wanted a, an administrator that he can trust. Because he wanted a leader at home that he can trust. God took his time preparing David because he wanted a king that he can trust. And he needed to test David so that he can trust David. Do you see the testing that God has for you in your life? He needs to test you so that then he can trust you in the place that he has for you. God wanted a king that he could trust. He wanted a king that was concerned about his will. He wanted you in whatever role that you are in today, that you would be concerned about the will of God. What is a man? What is a woman after God's own heart? You would ask yourself, what does that even mean? What does that look like? A man, a woman after God's own heart. You know why he called him that? Because he had a shepherd's heart. And I pray today that if maybe you don't have that shepherd's heart, maybe you're struggling with the shepherd's heart, that God would give you a shepherd's heart because that's the heart after God's own heart. That's how you can say I'm a man or a woman after God's own heart because I have a shepherd's heart. He loved God. That's the shepherd's heart. And he loved to do the will of God. That's the shepherd's heart as well. You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Then be a person that loves God and loves to do the will of God. That is the shepherd's heart. That is a man, that is a woman after God's own heart. You can live your life however you want your own heart. Or you can say, Lord, I don't want to live my life with my own heart. I want you to give me your heart. I want to be a man or a woman after your heart. That I love you and I love to do your will. There are three different seasons that you see in David's life that we can learn from. Number one, he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd keeper. He was a keeper of the sheep. We're going to study his life while he was a keeper of the sheep. We're going to study his life while he was a psalmist or how he wrote the songs, right? He was a psalmist. But also we're going to write, study his life and when he was a king. And this is amazing because he, the Lord was preparing him in every season of his life. You would ask yourself, Lord, why is it that you have me in this season of my life? As a keeper of sheep, are you serious, Lord? Or now you've moved me to be a psalmist. And then finally, the Lord had him to be a king. And every season, the Lord was preparing him to have a shepherd's heart. Well, what was the lesson? When he was a keeper of sheep, when he was a keeper of sheep, and I want you to know this, he was learning to be a humble servant. When he was a keeper of sheep, David was learning to be a humble servant. When he was a psalmist, he was learning to be an anointed worshiper. And I, and I pray that you would write these down because they're going to minister to you. When he was a keeper of sheep, he was a humble servant. When he was a psalmist, he was an anointed worshiper. But also when he was a king, he was a lover of God. Do you see how his heart is continuously with that shepherd's heart? Man, David, as a keeper of sheep, he was a humble servant. David, as a psalmist, he was anointed worshiper. 
David as a king, he was a lover of God. And as we see those three seasons, we see that also he faces spiritual preparation. He faces spiritual victory, but he also faces spiritual failure. We don't want to only talk about the good moments in David's life. We also want to talk about the moments in David's life where he didn't do so well. See, there are three typical seasons where we all find ourselves, maybe even today, as you've come in, you maybe think, I'm, I'm going through spiritual preparation right now. And this is a season of spiritual preparation. I just know it. The Lord has confirmed that this is a season of spiritual preparation. Or maybe right now you're going through a season of spiritual victory. And you're seeing the spiritual victory taking place over your life. You're overcoming a giant here and overcoming an addiction and a vice in the flesh over here on this side. Or maybe you're going through spiritual failure where there's a default in character. But you can learn from David's life on what to do. So that today we leave as humble servants. So that today we leave as anointed worshipers. And so that today we leave as lovers of God. I don't know about you, but today I want to be a humble servant. I want to be an anointed worshiper. And I want to be a lover of God. I've always loved David's life and admired it so much. Because he was a pastor and then he was a worship leader. And you learn that the reason why he was an effective worship leader was because he, has a, he had a heart of a shepherd. Right? And, and I'll tell you this. You can call yourself whatever you want. But do you have a shepherd's heart? Do you have a shepherd's heart today? Why don't we go ahead and pray? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the life of David, a man after God's own heart, Lord. I pray that today we would leave as humble servants through spiritual victory, that we would leave as anointed worshipers even through spiritual maybe preparation. And Lord, even as we're going through spiritual failure in our lives, perhaps, Lord, that we would leave also as lovers of God, God. That no matter what we call ourselves, no matter what we identify, that we would have the shepherd's heart. As David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want. He wanted, he knew he had that heart, he needed nothing else. Because he had a fellowship with the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us loud and clear in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. We see here lessons from now, the first season of David's life. Lessons from spiritual preparation. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Lessons from spiritual preparation. When he's first called a man after God's own heart, lessons from spiritual preparation. God has you. He's spiritually preparing you. But what is he preparing? What is he molding? What is he shaping? What is he changing? The heart. He wants you to have a heart after him. We, have, we can have a heart after a relationship, a heart after a job, a heart after money, a heart after even ministry. But do you have a heart after him? Now it says here in 1 Samuel 16 that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? How, how long are you going to mourn for the past? That's what he's saying. How long will you mourn for the past failure? How long will you be moping around that Saul was not the guy, that he did not achieve the expectations that we all thought he would do it? The Lord speaking to the prophet Samuel, sometimes we get so caught up in the past that we never able to fill our horn today with oil. Now he's saying, don't be focused on the past failure. Don't be focused on the past now pain, on the past discouragement, on the past depression, on the past uh, now defeat in your life. And he tells him here, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil. Today God is telling you, stop focusing on the past and fill your horn with oil. Fill your life with the Holy Spirit. Fill your vessel with the Holy Spirit. Stop focusing on the past. And he goes on and he says this, And go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Isn't that amazing that the Lord provides for who? Provides for himself. When he was raising up that humble servant, he was providing for himself. I love that the Lord not only prepares, but he also provides for himself. And he so much uses who he chooses. I have, I, I have, I'm going to use who I have chosen. I'm providing for myself. He was looking at the life of David. He was preparing and then he was going to provide. 
And he said, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord had said. He was obedient and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? They, didn't want, they wanted to know if Samuel the prophet came in peace or he came in judgment as a prophet. So here comes Samuel to now Bethlehem to visit Jesse because he's looking for the man after God's own heart. Is he really looking for that? No, he's not looking for that. He's looking for a man that's appealing to his eyes. He's looking for a man that God would anoint to be the next king. And it tells us here in verse 5, And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And he said, Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now he's going to scout out who is the one that God has chosen to use. And he says, So it was when they had come that he looked at uh, Eliab, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now look what he does. He saw Eliab. He saw him. He went and he looked at him. He was impressed with what he saw with his eyes. Have you ever been impressed with what you saw with your eyes? Instead of saying, Lord, show me with your heart. We're impressed with our eyes. And he saw Eliab and he said, well, I'm impressed with my eyes and what I see. Little did he know that God was not looking the way he was looking. God wasn't searching the way he was searching. He wasn't looking at the same qualifications that Eliab was looking for. And it says here now, surely this is the Lord's anointed is before him. Now as he, we go on in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his outward appearance or at his physical stature. Don't look at the way he looks or the way, he, the way you see him. You know, he, he told him, now Sam, he said, don't be impressed with what you see because I don't see the way you see. I'm not looking for what you're looking. Have you ever got in trouble because you're looking for something that God's not looking for and you think, you know what, this is what the Lord is looking for. And said, who said I was looking for that? Here he, he's telling Samuel, I'm not looking for that. The Lord does not see as man sees. Do not look at the outward appearance because I have refused him. That's not who I have chosen, he says here. For the Lord does not see as man sees. That's so comforting. Sometimes we think in ourselves, well, I'm not qualified because I'm not appealing to man to fit the, 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 the prescribed now recommendation to what people now are appealed to as a man or a woman of God. That someone, I would appeal to someone to be used by God. Or I would appeal to someone to be that, that place or that role, or that position, that purpose that God has called me. We think that we don't appeal to that. But the Lord says, do not worry. Because I don't look at the way man looks. I, I don't see the way man sees. That's not the way I choose. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see the shepherd's heart right here is being formed? The Lord looks at the heart. What is the Lord looking for right now? He's... He's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking strategically and straight. He's looking at the posture of your heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all these young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. Now think about David. They didn't even call him. Isn't that sad when you think about that? That David wasn't even considered. You know, the, his father Jesse knew that Samuel the prophet was in town. He wanted to sacrifice. And his dad said, I don't even bother calling David. David is not important. He's the youngest one. He has no, he has no place here. It is the people that sometimes the world says... They have absolutely no place. They are the most unlikely to have any type of role here are the ones that God chooses. Because he thought he is unlikely to be anything or he is of no good use to us. He's just the youngest one. He just takes care of sheep. He's a keeper of sheep. And he says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will not, we will not sit down till he comes. You have to bring him now, Jesse. 
So he sent and brought him now, and he was ruddy, with bright eyes. He had to come from the field, and he was a good-looking young man. He, was, he had bright eyes, and he was good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Oh, well, isn't that amazing? That the Lord said, you know what? I wasn't looking at Eliab. I wasn't looking at his older brothers. I wasn't looking at the ones that were most impressed. I, I, I wanted to see that young guy that was out there in the sheep when no one was out there. He's come in with that glow of the sun that is really, he's sweating, he's ruddy, with, good, with, with, with just a good-looking, handsome young man. He's out, nobody's even out there with him. This is the one that I've chosen. Arise and anoint him. In verse 12, he says this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. What is he doing? Is an oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. He was empowering him. He was anointing him for the service that God was preparing David for. And it says here, in the Spirit, the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He was anointed, and the Spirit of God was upon David. But why was the Spirit upon David? Why did David become anointed? Because the Lord was looking at his heart. You see, the Lord does not anoint pride. The Lord anoints humility. And the Lord looks at your heart before He anoints. Sometimes you see, the Lord looks at my talent, and then He anoints. No, He doesn't. The Lord looks at my experience, and then He anoints. No, He doesn't. The Lord looks at your heart, and then He anoints. And look what he's saying here. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. You think about how what happens here, because you see here that David has the right heart, and he gets anointed. I, I would ask the Lord to help us today to look at the way he looks, that we, when we look at people, we, we look at their hearts. Because so often we move people to the side because they don't appeal to what our preconceived notion is of what people ought to look like or to sound like or to be like, to be able to use by God. And God's saying, I, I, those prerequisites that you have don't matter to me because I'm looking at their heart. The Lord does not see as man says. He saw something in David. He saw a heart of a shepherd. And he's saying, that's what I want. A heart of a shepherd. Now in verse 14, it says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So when the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul the king, he was now left open for the, the troubling now to take place in his life. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Now you see the anointing that was on David here. He had the right heart. The Lord anointed him. And his servants tell Saul, Now there's a distressing spirit that's troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful. Underline the word skillful. A skillful player. A skillful player of what? Of the harp. A skillful player of the harp. Go get a, a skillful harp player. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand. And when a distressing spirit from God is upon him, you sh it shall be, you shall be well. So verse 17, we see now we're getting introduced to now David the psalmist or the harp player. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And it said that one of his servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in playing. That word skillful keeps coming up. A mighty man of valor, a, a man of war, prudent in speech. He's eloquent. He knows how to articulate. He's a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, do you see the qualifications of what they're looking for, these men that are looking for David to come and play the harp? But why was David able to play the harp? Why was the, he able to minister to Saul during those distressing times? Because David was anointed. And why was David anointed? Because he had the right heart. Do you see how that when you minister to people that have a distressing spirit that are going through trouble sometimes in their lives, it, it, it is nothing of you that can really ministers to them. It's not even your skillful playing that's doing the ministry. It's the anointing that's doing the ministry because the heart is already there. Do you see how it happened, how the steps that took place, it was the right heart, it was the anointing, and then it was a skillful playing. Sometimes we have it all mixed up. We look, all right, that, that person has the skillful playing, that person has the, the, the right appeal, and maybe if they have the anointing, then we'll take the anointing as well. Now the Lord said, you know what? I want to know if he has the right heart first. 
And then we're going to anoint him. And then he's going to be blessed with the gift of skillfulness to be able to play the harp. And through those things, he was ministering to Saul. It was the anointing that ministered to Saul. I, I think it's important that we know that God is looking for leaders according to his heart. God is looking for leaders according to his heart. Before David was a psalmist, know this, he was first a shepherd. Before David was a psalmist, he was first a shepherd. Before he wore a crown, he first held a staff. Before he wore a crown, he first held a staff. And this is so important. Because we must consider not the skillfulness of the heart before the readiness of the heart. How many times do we consider the skillfulness of the harp before the readiness of the heart and then there's no anointing? We want to know, if you, are you good with the harp instead of, are you good in your heart? And the Lord is saying, I need a man that has the right heart. Why does the heart matter? I'll tell you, the, the heart matters so much, even specifically for David as a worship leader, because what good is it if you can harmonize, but you can't agonize? What good is it if you can play, but you don't know how to pray? You see how these things matter, how the right heart matters? What, what good is it to have a good ear if it's accompanied by a bad heart? God is looking at the heart. And, and I think it's so important that because it was so, times, so many times we're, we're quick to be impressed with skill, when we first must look for sacredness. Are you looking for skill or are you looking for sacredness? Because God, before God looks for skill, He's looking for sacredness. Before He's impressed whether you can harmonize, He wants to know, can that person agonize? That person can play, but does he know how to pray? These are the things that God is looking for because when you have the right heart, the Lord can trust you. And he knows that you're going to lean in and trust him as well. And he was making David a man that can trust God. See, that's what happens when you have a shepherd's heart. Some of the most beautiful psalms even that David ever wrote, some of the most beautiful psalms that he wrote was when David was running from his enemies hiding in a cave. But he wrote those psalms because he had a shepherd's heart. Because he was learning to trust God. Think about that. The most beautiful psalms he wrote wasn't when he was in, in, as a king. The most beautiful psalms he wrote, it wasn't when, when, when he was having the best victories of his life. It was when he was running from his enemies and he was hiding in a cave. What does this tell us about the shepherd's heart? That God, with the shepherd's heart, God will give you a song in the midst of suffering. I want you to know that God's going to give you a song in the midst of suffering with the shepherd's heart. Maybe he wants to give you a song today. And God will give you the insight and the creativity that you need as he ministers to you when you let him become your commentator. That's the shepherd's heart. I want the Lord to speak to me directly. I don't want a man to speak to me because the Lord spoke to him. And then, No, I want the Lord to become my commentator and he'll give you insight. He'll give you the songs. He will minister to you. David learned the best place to be in as he was running from his enemies with that shepherd heart. The best and the safest place to be in is in the hand of God. I'm going to read to you just very quickly Psalm 7-1. What did it say in Psalm 7-1? You can read the entire psalm later on when you have time. Oh Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Running from his enemies, hiding in a cave. Psalm 7-1. What about Psalms 27-1? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. In whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. In whom shall I be afraid? Running from his enemies, hiding in a cave. What about Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the shepherd's heart again there. Psalms 31 verse 1. What does it say? In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. In Psalms 52, 1 and 2, it says, Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give me ear in the words of my mouth. To the words of my mouth. You see that every time he was leaning and trusting God because he had a heart that was after God? Now let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we flip the page there. 1 Samuel 17, and we see here as that shepherd is now going from spiritual preparation to spiritual victory. The nation of Israel was completely distressed at the moment. And as they were distressed at the moment, it was because they had a Philistine that was taunting them. 
And you see through chapter 17 that sometimes David would go from ministering to Saul and he would leave that place from ministering to Saul and he would go out and help his father with the sheep. But one time when he went to go help his father with the sheep, he said, go take lunch to your brothers and find out how they're doing. He finds out that the entire nation of Israel or the armies are discouraged and they're afraid because they're facing a giant. It's very common in our lives to be discouraged and afraid when you're facing a giant. And I don't know what that giant looks like in your life. It would maybe looks like something different. But from the spiritual preparation, there's also spiritual victory that maybe God wants to take you through. And what happens here is that David is about to face a giant here while or in the midst of discouragement and in the midst now of fear. Let's go to verse 26 because he goes now in 1 Samuel 17, 26 and he shows up to the camp and he's asking questions. He's interested on what's happening. Do you see a problem? you see people troubled and afraid and discouraged? Do you begin to ask the questions? Dig deep, try to find out a little bit more? This is the shepherd's heart right here. This is the young man that wants to be used by God. And, and, and look what he's saying. He's asking, what's going to happen to the man that can go up against this giant that is defying the, the armies of the Lord? And he says in verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills a Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Israel is under discouragement, is under fear. What's going to happen to the man that, that goes out and, and defeats this giant? from taking the reproach away from Israel. And look what he says here now in verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? He looks at the giant and says, what, what do you think you are, giant? That you are defying the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the manner saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard... When he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. Look, Eliab was completely upset that David showed up, and he's asking these questions. He's going to get upset, and he tells him, hear this. Why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I know you're just curious, David. What are the little sheep that you have out in the wilderness? Why don't you go back to your sheep? He was humiliating up. He was trying to, you know... Give him a little blow right there out to his pride. I went to the little sheep that you have. I want you to get out of here, David. You're nobody. You think you have a place in this battle? You want some attention here? I know you're just curious. Isn't it interesting sometimes when you try to take a step of faith against a giant that you're facing, that others are going to tell you, who do you think you are to face the giant? Well, his own brothers were discouraging him from stepping out. And look what's happening here. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> He's so discouraged. You know what makes me believe here about David? That his brothers were mean to him. Because he says, what have I done now? I mean, he's tired of his brothers always complaining about David. David, man, what have I done now? You guys, I can't do nothing. You guys don't invite me anywhere. <laughs> you know? What have I done now? And he says here, is there not a cause? Is there a reason to ask this question? I'm just asking. And he says, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And all, and all the people answered as the first ones. They're answering, this is what's going to happen. You know, if, to the one that kills Goliath. Now the words which David spoke were heard and reported them to Saul the king, and he sent for him. Everyone's saying, you know, there's a little man that's coming around and saying about, he's interested in who's going to now defy or, or defeat now Goliath, who is defying the nation of Israel. Then David said to Saul, because they brought David to him, let no man's heart fail because of him. <laughs> You just imagine David going in with a staff and the lunch in his hand. I, I mean, I just think it's a funny picture. He, here he has a staff in his hand in one hand, and in the other hand he has a bag with lunch. Don't worry about it, Saul. I'll take care of this. And Saul probably is just looking at him and just laughing like, man, what does this guy think he is? He's just looking at this young little David. He, he knows he has no experience in war. And this is what I love. He says, let no man's heart be failed because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He calls himself a servant. The shepherd's heart again. We'll go. I will go. That's the servant. I want you to know, people of faith always volunteer. Faith always volunteers. I love this, that we learn this from David. 
And he said, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are a youth. You're just a young man, and, and he's a man of war from his youth. He's been fighting from his youth, and you're, you're still just a young man. But David said to Saul, No, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. <laughs> well, as if that's impressive, right? And he says, And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flocks, I went out after and struck it. And delivered the lamb from the mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. <laughs> yeah, he said, no, just wait up. I faced the lion before and I faced the bear. You know, you know Saul just looking and I'm like, man, you're just a young, inexperienced kid. It's like somebody went up to you and tell you, you know what? I got this because I faced the lion and I faced the bear. But I'm going to tell you something today. The Lord will put you in front of a lion. And the Lord will put you in front of a bear so that he can teach you so that when you face the giant tomorrow. The Lord was preparing him with that shepherd's heart. What are you saying? When they came and took my sheep, I went after even that lion. I went after that bear and I, I recovered the sheep, the shepherd's heart again. Do you see that keep coming up in David's life? He's demonstrating the shepherd's heart. He said, God, he, he, and he's teaching us, God will let you face a lion, God will let you face a bear to prepare you to fight a giant. Now, here, this is, this is the punchline here in verse 34, and, and verse here 35 and 36, and I want you to remember this. And it says, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he's defiled the armies of the living God. He's disrespected my God, and I take that personal. Do you take that personal when someone disrespects your God? Do you take that personal and someone disrespects your Lord? Now he says, Moreover, David said to the Lord, David said, The Lord will who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. It was the Lord. It wasn't the staff. It wasn't the sling. It wasn't the experience. It wasn't David. It was the Lord. A lot of times people say, so just these, these motivating things that want to motivate people. You know, when the Lord puts a, a giant before you, it's because he sees a David inside of you. No, it wasn't David. <laughs> it was the Lord. It wasn't David. It was the Lord that was delivering him. And look what it says here. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to them, Go and the Lord be with you. He saw that his trust was in the Lord. See, the victories that you experience today will will comfort you for the giants that you're facing tomorrow. Maybe you faced a little small victory today. Maybe a victory this week. Those victories that God gives you every single day are to prepare you for the giants that you're going to one day face. And David here was about to face his very first giant. You see, and think about what happens here as we read these next two verses. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. Think about it. Before he left, he said, wait up. Let me put my armor on you. Let me put my helmet on you. And he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk. For he had not tested them. He tried to walk with it, little David. And he said, and David said, Saul, I cannot walk with these. For I have not tested them. So David took them off. Do, do you see how David, he's so funny. Instead of saying, I don't know how to use them, or instead of saying they're too heavy, he just said, I, I haven't tested them. <laughs> you know, I, I always think it's so funny that he tried to make an excuse as to why he couldn't use them. He said, you know, I, I just, I don't want to use these, not because they're too heavy and I can't walk, but because I just haven't tested them. And, and you see what David was? I love this about David. He refused Saul's armor. He refused Saul's armor. Why? Because David didn't fight battles. David didn't face giants trying to be someone he wasn't. Do you, do you notice that in David? He didn't try to face battles. He didn't try to face giants trying to be somebody that he wasn't. He wasn't trying to be Saul. He said, I'm going to just be David. You know, he, God will not anoint you or give you victory when you're trying to be someone that you're not. And I think it's so important that we know that. Sometimes we say, Lord, anoint this work. Lord, give me the victory against this giant. And the Lord said, I can't do that because you're trying to be someone that you're not. You're going out with the armor of Saul. You're trying to be an imitation. See, the reason why we lose against the giants in our spiritual walk, and I'll tell you the reason why a lot of times we lose against giants in our spiritual walk is because we go wearing the armor of Saul instead of going to wear the armor of God. 
How many times have you gone out with the armor of Saul trying to be someone that you're not instead of wearing the armor of God? I'm going to tell you the difference between the armor because we better be careful that you're not dressed with the confidence in man. That's the armor of Saul, confidence in man. I want to be like Saul. It's in this armor. Oh, Saul gave me his sword. He would have lost that battle. Saul gave me his helmet. I'm ready to go. Confidence in man. Confidence in the armor. Instead of saying, I want to be dressed with the armor of God where my confidence is in God. You see, when you're wearing and you're dressed with the armor of man, you know what happens when you're dressed with the armor of man? Three things happen when you're dressed in the armor of man. And also three things happen when you're dressed in the armor of God. A lot of time we face the spiritual warfare dressed in the armor of Saul, in the armor of man, confidence in man. Number one thing that happens when you're dressed in the armor of man or is, is that your confidence is in what man thinks. When you're wearing the armor of Saul, you're wearing the armor where your confidence is in your flesh, you are now confident in, 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 and now consumed in what man thinks. But when you're wearing the armor of God, you're confident in what God has said. Do you see that difference? One consumes you with what others think. The other one reminds you what God has said, the armor of God. Not only that, the armor of Saul or the armor of man is filled with fear. You're filled with fear all the time. Why? Because your confidence is in, in the flesh. You're filled with fear. But the, when you're wearing the armor of God now, when your confidence is in God, you're filled with faith not with fear. And thirdly, when your armor, when you're dressed in the armor of man, you become very doubtful facing those spiritual battles. But then when you're wearing the armor of God, when your confidence is in God, you become very determined with what God wants. Are you concerned what man thinks or what God has said? Are you filled with fear? Are you filled with faith? Are you doubtful or are you determined? It will tell you which armor today you're wearing. And I'll tell you, the armor of God has everything you need. The armor of God has everything you need to face spiritual warfare. Let's see what happens in verse 40 here. And he took his staff in his hand. What does he take? He faces the battle like a shepherd. <laughs> oh, amazing. He didn't take, he even didn't take a sword. He took a staff. He faces the battle like a shepherd. And he, and he does this. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag. Look, at, I mean, I love it. The staff and the shepherd's back with the shepherd's heart and the shepherd's anointing. And the pouch with his hand and in his sling was in his hand. And he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came to David. It says, and he became drawn near to David. And, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, and he disdained him. For he was only a youth ruddy and good looking. He was, he was kind of taken back. Wait, wait a minute. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? <laughs> Just think about what he told them. What am I, a dog? That you're coming, that you guys send this guy with a stick? <laughs> it was a staff. And he's laughing at him. And he says, that you came to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. And he says, and the beast of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He was wearing the armor of God. He was so confident. He was determined. He knew what God had said. He was filled with faith. He had volunteered. Think about what the shepherd's heart had done for David. Do you see that? He wasn't running away from giants. The shepherd heart runs towards the giants and said, I'm not looking at the size of the giant. I'm looking at the size of my God. You see what David is doing here? He's so confident here. It says, Then thus, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses to the camp of the Philistines and to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, and the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He didn't say so the earth may know that there is a David in Israel. You know why sometimes we lose victory? Because we want people to know that there is a David in Israel. There is your name in Israel. No, he said, I want them to know that there is a God in Israel. He was focused on giving God the recognition. And he tells us this, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is not David's, the battle is the Lord's. And when the battle is the Lord's, you can run towards the battle, towards the giant, knowing that you have victory. You know that David wasn't looking for recognition, he was looking for obedience. And it's when you look for obedience that you get victory. 
You're looking for recognition, you're going to find defeat. You're looking for obedience, you're going to find victory. Which one are you looking for today? Then all the assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. And it was when the Philistine arose, and he came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank deep in his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew it out of his uh, sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. You think about the victory that David got? Why? Because he stepped out in faith. You want to step out in faith? Three things must happen. I'm going to give those to you right now. Number one, you need vision. Lord, give me faith. Ask him, I want vision to step out in faith. Number two, I want courage to actually be able to excel in that vision. But also I want initiative. I want to be a volunteer because I know faith always volunteers. You want to have faith? You want to step out in faith? Say, Lord, give me vision. Give me courage and give me initiative. I'll tell you why. Because faith begins with vision. Vision inspires courage. And courage enables initiative. I'm going to say that for you one more time. Faith begins with vision. Vision inspires courage. And courage enables initiative. Now David got a victory over Goliath. He went from the spiritual preparation to then the spiritual victory. But then there's a spiritual failure in his life. And we need to look at it today. We want to pay attention and look at this place as well. Because you don't want to be that person that wins with Goliath but then fails with Bathsheba. How many times do you say, you know, I'm a win with Goliath, so I'm confident that I fail with Bathsheba. I fail in this other area. You know why David has spiritual failure in his life as well? Even the man with the shepherd's heart? Because for a moment he took his trust off of God and he put his trust in himself. And that's when you start to get spiritual failure. When you take your trust off of God and you put your trust in yourself, spiritual failure is bound to happen. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read this quickly as we finish. And we're going to learn here that it's very important to pray for those in positions of Christian leadership because, because if you're in Christian leadership, that means that you're a special target for the attack of the devil. And we're going to learn here from spiritual failure what to do in spiritual failure. There's a lesson there as well. Because David defaulted when it came to his character. It says in 2 Samuel verse 11, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Look at that. Kings should be out in battle. Christians should be out in battle. Stop staying home in. The moment that you stay back, when you know you should have gone, that's when you get in trouble. Because you decided, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to stay back. It said here now. That David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Why did he remain at Jerusalem? He was confident because he just got victory. When you get victory, you become confident. Oh, I trust myself. I'm good. I don't have to go. And you know what happens? You take your trust off of God. You put your trust in yourself because you got yourself a big win. And guess what happens? You stay back now. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman. Look at saw. Underlined saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. It didn't, that word behold means that he looked at her. And behold, he looked at her again. And he couldn't stop looking. <laughs> what was getting him in trouble? His eyes. It's been said before that the eyes are the windows to the memory of your soul. The eyes are the windows to the memory of your soul. What you look at, your soul will remember. And that's why, guess what? People are so addicted to lust. Because when they, once they look at something, they're addicted to it in their soul and in their mind. Do you understand how many people even are, are, are so addicted to lust? I mean, look at what happens here in the life of David. There was a one unguarded moment. One leisure moment, one slackness, one day that I'm going to take off, one day of lack of discipline will cost you. All it takes is one. You see how it says it was one day? It was one evening? 
It's just one time. And all it takes is one time. Sometimes you think, oh, you know what? It just, you know, it, it takes many times for people to fall. No, it just takes one evening. And think about this. He already committed adultery in his heart. We learn there, if you have a problem with lust, then don't stand on rooftops. Be careful the environment that you surround yourself. It says here now, so David sent and inquired about this woman, and someone said, is not this Bathsheba? She's a daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages, and he took her. And she came to him, and she lay with him, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. He had sexual relations with her. And the woman conceived, so she went and told David and said, I'm with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. He said, You know, I'm going to try to cover my sin. Go call her husband, because she found out that she was pregnant. David already had many wives. God already said, You cannot have many wives. He still had many wives. And even having many wives, his flesh was not satisfied. So he wants to have Bathsheba. And think about this, that, that he wants to have Bathsheba. There's a breach in his integrity because we all know that idle time is the devil's playground. He was idle, so the devil was going to start to play with that time because he was, had his day off. And he said, then when Uriah came, David asked Job, how is, how is Job and the people were doing and how the war prospered? And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all his servants of his lord and did not go down to the house. He didn't go down to the house. Why? Because he was a man of integrity. He's saying, how is it that I have seen that my brothers, and brothers are out in battle and you want me to go out now and enjoy my wife and have relations? He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But what did David fail in? Why was he in this mess? Because he didn't set boundaries. You know how you get default in character? When you don't set boundaries. Set boundaries. You don't become accountable. It's so important here that, that we know this and that we read this because he refused, even Uriah, to enjoy comfort while others were going through hardship. He had a heart for the people. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in the tents, and my lord Job and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as, as you, you live and as my soul lives? I shall not do this thing. So what does David do? David sends a note with Uriah. And he says, sends a note to put Uriah in the hottest place of the battle so that Uriah can be defeated and killed in battle. Not only did he commit adultery, but now he's committing murder. The same David that wrote the Psalms wrote this death note. You think about this defaulted character because one evening he decided, he said, I'm going to take one evening off from discipline. I'm going to take one evening off from setting boundaries. I'm going to take one evening off from doing, not doing what God called me to do. Listen, being tempted is not a sin. It's when you enter temptation and that becomes very sinful. God says in His Word that He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can now handle. And He's always going to make a way of escape. Do you know that? God's always going to make a way of escape for that thing. That is a promise from the Bible that God is always going to make a way of escape and He is faithful. He was not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to resist. Sometimes you think, oh, Lord, you gave me this temptation, but you set me up for failure. No, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And He's also going to make a way of escape. Oh, man, God is so faithful. Not only is He not going to give you more than I can handle when it comes to temptation, He's always going to make a way out. But David did what? He failed in the area of transparency. He failed in the area of transparency. You know how you fail in the area of transparency to finish off tonight? By number one, not being accountable. Not accountable. You fail in the area of transparency, but not being accountable. You fail also, number two, in the area of transparency, by failing to set boundaries and discipline. By failing to set boundaries and discipline. And number three, you fail in the area of transparency by trusting in self rather than trusting in God. Who are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in self or are you trusting in God? After David did this, and after he was confronted by Nathan, and he said, what you're doing is wrong. It says in verse 27, 
as we read in chapter 11, and when the, her mourning was over, she was mourning for her husband that had died, Bathsheba. David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What David did, the Lord did not like. Because you know what the Lord hates? You know what the Lord would displeases God? What displeases God is when you try to cover your sin. Either you're going to try to cover your sin, or you're going to let the blood of Jesus cover your sin. And it's so important that we know that. In 1 John 1, 9, what it said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I want you to tell, I'll tell you this, that this spiritual failure wasn't even final. Because even in this spiritual failure, God used David to write a song in the midst of sorrow. He wrote a song of brokenness, and we see that song in Psalms 51, that prayer. I want you to go home tonight and maybe spend time with the Lord and read Psalms 51. Because it talks about brokenness. The shepherd's heart is all about brokenness. What is the shepherd heart about? Is having a heart for the will of God, number one. A shepherd's heart, having a heart for the will of God, number one. The shepherd's heart is about learning to trust God. The shepherd's heart is about stepping out in battle. And the shepherd's heart is about being filled with brokenness and repentance. Brokenness and repentance. That is the shepherd's heart. Brokenness and repentance. You want to have a shepherd's heart? Ask the Lord, give me brokenness and repentance. Go home tonight, please. And spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to speak to me through Psalms 51. Because I want brokenness and repentance. I want to learn from spiritual preparation. I want to go learn from spiritual victory. But I also want to learn from spiritual failure. Because I want to maintain and cultivate the shepherd's heart. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Because you're so good, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would to work in our lives, God. I thank you, God, because your promises remain, God. I pray, Lord, for us tonight, Lord, that you would give us a shepherd's heart. I know sometimes, Lord, that we get so caught up in trying to have a heart after other things, but we never have a heart after you. Give us a shepherd's heart, Lord. Give us a heart, Lord, that wants to be a humble servant, that wants to be an anointed worshiper, and that wants to be a lover of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we said.